What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to this week of Burn It All Down. It may not be the feminist sports podcast you want, but it's definitely the feminist sports podcast you need. I'm Amira Rose Davis, Assistant Professor of History in Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Penn State University. And we have a full house this week. All of my co-hosts are here to close out the year with our last kind of live show before we bring you a few best ofs uh, in the next few weeks. So we really want to all come together and we have a fantastic episode for you. So first, let me welcome my co-hosts, Lindsay Gibbs, Shreen Ahmed, Brenda Elsie, and Jessica Luther. Hey, y'all. Hi. Hi. Hello. So this week, we're going to dive into the latest on Larry Nasser, the report that was published on him, and look at some of the ramifications of it. We will also have a conversation that we will continue to have many times over, which is diversity in sports media or lack thereof. But first, so y'all, you know, I'm drowning in grading. But one of the things that I'm grading is they did movie review papers, which um, on like they could do it on anything that was a sports movie. And it started this ridiculous conversation about Air Bud. Did you know that there are five Airbuds? No. Like, in, <laughs> yes. No. I was unaware as well. And they were like, no, Professor Davis, there's a volleyball Airbud. I was like, there's not a volleyball Airbud. They looked it up on Wikipedia in class. Airbud spikes back. It's a volleyball <laughs> Airbud. That makes you want to go back to bed. <laughs> like, I'm fun. <laughs> like, I'm good. <laughs> they have a soccer one, Airbud World Pup. Airbud seventh inning fetch. World like it's, I didn't know this was a thing. <laughs> yeah, no, me either. So, so that made me feel a little better. But then, I, so anyways, the light at the end of the grading tunnel is that now I'm like squarely in binging season, and I know that Jess, you're a huge fan of the seasonal movies that hit Netflix around this time. So what what are you watching? What's going on? Oh, gosh. I Well, I watch Hallmark and Lifetime and Netflix. I watch all of those movies about princes and fake countries that end in Ovia. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't even begin to tell you all the ones that I've already seen. I don't know any of their names because they're all almost the same name. But it's just it gives me such joy at this time of year. It's the same kind of thing as, you know, romance novels. Like, I get to watch these people fall in love for two hours and then they just share a chaste kiss, which is different than the romance novels. And they all live happily ever after. And there's a lot of happiness and, you know, saving bakeries and winter festivals and things like that. So <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> I mean, I think this is my favorite time of movie year. Not only do we have like fun movies coming out in the theaters, hashtag yeah. uh, Spider-Verse. Yay, little yes. brown Spider-Man. I'm trying to see um, that on Christmas. I'm like waiting I'm so for the tickets to go. Am I, Jackson am I the only one long. that's really excited about Claire Foy being Mary Poppins? Because I'm very excited about Emily that. Blunt. Emily Blunt. Wait a minute. It wasn't Claire Foy? No, no. she's, she's no. Elizabeth Salander in the latest uh, Girl with the Dragon. I thought it was Claire Emily Blunt. Series. Yeah, no. So definitely Emily Blunt <laughs> and then well, Miranda. But... And I also like this time of year because you get all the raging debates about what is or is not a Christmas movie like Die Hard, which I'm completely indifferent to, or Home Alone, which definitely is. It is. Um, I don't know. I I have not seen Die Hard. I'm just saying this publicly now. And I told Aaron like a week ago, I know that's my (laughs) that's my movie goal for this this holiday season is to see Die Hard so that I can finally join understand the Christmas conversation around it. I've, I've never watched Die Hard either. If there's some so problems I, you might expect. 
will happen with a U.S. middle-aged man saving the world. White guy. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, whatever. I mean. <laughs> I just have very low expectations these days. <laughs> you yeah. know, I saw Widows yesterday. And oh, so I'd like to I think now that's that. a Christmas movie. <laughs> Even though it has nothing to do with Christmas, but it's about Viola Davis kicking ass. And we all I, need more of that. I saw the favorite. all seasons. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the favorite earlier this week, which was Ooh. wonderful and strange. Ooh. So okay, I recommend that's that good too. to know. I saw that preview. I do have to say, like the the Christmas movies as a as a single person who, you know, the holidays always make me feel more single and more childless. I do have to say, but you know, I like watching these Christmas movies because it's like, oh, I can meet someone and be married in like two days. There's still <laughs> there's still time before Christmas, you know. So you just need to like you just need to wander into a Christmas themed town and right. you will inevitably bump into the single dad who is looking for a partner and who's a dentist yeah. and you drop a, a handful yes. an armful of presents on the ground and you'll look up <laughs> exactly. and there he'll be exactly <laughs> and they're beautifully yeah, wrapped because cool i could i can really embrace my scrooge because we need a plot line right so i can be the scrooge and then this hot dad yeah. can you know yeah, hot the dad. Dad can you really can be the woman who is only too much. into sports reporting oh exactly. my god I love teach that. me. Oh, we don't have time for love. There's a game on. Oh. Yeah. He needs to teach me the meaning of the season. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, we've got to work flowers, out. Exactly, yeah, it works better. I- as we get into this, uh, the last few weeks of this year, I have more time on my hands. Maybe knock on wood. So, we'd love to hear what you are binging and watching at home. Let us know what is on your seasonal movie list. To kick off this show, I want to dive into a report that was released this past week on Larry Nasser. Uh, to start us off and help us work through this, I want to toss it to Jess. Yeah. So in February, the United States Olympic Committee commissioned a law firm named Ropes and Gray to investigate how no one at the USOC or USA Gymnastics stepped in to stop Larry Nasser's decades-long abusive gymnast under his care. And we have talked about everything around Nasser multiple times over on this podcast. But this week, Ropes and Gray published what they found in a 256-page report that can be described as damning, but that word is not really strong enough to get across what's contained in it. It was based on 100 interviews, including more than 60 current and former employees of the USOC and USAG, and a review of over 1.3 million documents. I'm now going to crib extensively from Lindsay's very good, very thorough write-up about the report that you can find on Think Progress and that we'll link to in the show notes. I also suggest reading the two posts that Devorah Myers wrote up at Deadspin, and I am just very, very thankful for the journalists who take the time to really read these documents and, and tell us what's in them. That's incredibly hard work. So here are some bits from the report. Nasser helped USA Gymnastics draft its rules concerning sexual misconduct, including, quote, providing protections against false accusations. The emails uh, between USAG officials, lawyers, and Nasser himself about how to cover up publicly for Nasser while he was under investigation for sexual assault. The FBI that was tipped off about all of these cover-ups but didn't actually do anything to stop them. Former CEO of the USOC, Scott Blackman, and Alan Ashley... The USOC chief of sport performance both lied to investigators about what they did in the wake of reports about Nasser. Blackman stepped down in February and Ashley was fired almost immediately this last week after the report was published. So what did Blackman and Ashley do after finding out about Nasser? According to Ropes and Gray, nothing. Here's a quote from the report. And again, this is Lindsay was the one who pulled this. It's in her piece. Quote, the USOC did not, in fact, take any steps after receiving notice of the allegations from Mr. Penny to assess whether Nasser had treated athletes at USOC facilities or while on the medical staff at the Olympic Games or other USOC events. Nor did the USOC undertake any follow up to ensure the safety of athletes, such as confirming that USAG had, in fact, referred the allegations of abuse to law enforcement or that USAG had implemented effective measures to prevent Nasser from having any further contact with athletes. Similarly, the organization did not take any steps to ensure that Nasser would be denied access to athletes at USOC training facilities or at USOC-sponsored events, nor did it make any independent report to any child protection authority. Nothing. Most people who worked at the USOC found out 
Only found out about Nasser when the Indianapolis Star published that first piece about him, the one based mainly around Rachel Denhollander's account in September 2016. The Ropes and Gray report concluded, quote, the foremost consideration is the NGB's ability, you know, USA Gymnastics, USA Volleyball, NGB's ability to generate medals with the marketability of successful athletes serving as an important secondary consideration. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone paying any kind of attention because we know that other than USA Gymnastics, USA Swimming, USA Diving, USA Volleyball, and USA Taekwondo have all had reports of systemic problems involving sexual abuse of athletes. So, Linz, first, thank you for the work that you've done this week and all year. And, I mean, you've just been spectacular. But in your piece, you talk about how there have to be major changes to the USOC. And you write, quote, in order for any of this to truly change, the current funding model for Olympic sports has to be reinvented. Can you explain a bit more about that funding and what's going on specifically with that? Yeah, I mean, so like you said, Jess, everything is based around medals. So in order for a NGB to, you know, be able to get any money from the USOC, it has to be winning medals. And it also has to have athletes that are incredibly marketable. This is just rife for corruption. (laughs) If the only way these executives are going to get paid and all of these people at the top are going to get their their paychecks is if the athletes underneath them are, you know, getting onto that podium, they're going to overlook a lot of things if an organization is earning medals like USA Gymnastics. It just creates no incentive to take care of big problems such as sexual abuse in sports. And what it does is it just streamlines something like the U.S. Olympic Committee and the Olympic movement at large into purely pretty much a profit-driven, results-driven machine, which is so dangerous given that these aren't just, as Nancy Hogshead Meyer, who does so much, Makar, excuse me, who does so much great work on this. You know, she always says that, you know, this is not, the Olympic movement is not 800 athletes every four years, right? It is hundreds of thousands, not millions of amateur athletes across the country who were involved in all of these Olympic sports at the amateur level. And the USOC oversees all of that. So it's just really terrifying to really dig into it and find out how much the funding model for all of this is based on medals and success. And to me, we're not going to be able to go forward. We're not going to be able to really reinvent the way these organizations are structured, where power comes from, unless we give more power back to the athletes and in part start treating them like humans and not metal making machines. So I really do think I don't, I don't have all the answers as I always say, uh, but you know, a lot of other countries, the funding for these sports comes directly from the government itself. You know, it's more of a centralized government-funded process. And, of course, that there can be problems with that, too. But, you know, if organizations are working on a stipend situation from the government as opposed to fighting for the money that the USOC is able to earn through their marketing plans, the USOC earns most of its money by licensing the five Olympic rings and by all their marketing opportunities. That's how the USOC earns money. Right now, the Congress gives the USOC the right to earn money through those ways. It gives them the the trademark opportunities and all that stuff. But Congress doesn't actually fund any of the USOC. Thanks for breaking it down, Lindsay, and for your diligent reporting on this. Shireen? I just have a question talking about reinvention. I saw a report this week that Larry Nassar actually helped write a policy on sexual abuse within the USA gymnasts. So when we're talking about reinvention, are do you know, Linz, if they're scrapping? I know that just based on what you've said and have explained about the USA gymnastics, are they scrapping all of their documentation that had anything to do with him and restarting? Is that going to happen? Do you know? No, I mean, you know, yeah, Jess mentioned at the the top that 
you know, that was one of the most egregious parts of this whole whole report for me was the fact that Nasser was part of, you know, or tr- and tried to be part of drafting these rules for, you know, sexual misconduct within USA Gymnastics, because that's how ingrained he was into the culture of USA Gymnastics. But not all, first of all, not all the rules that he helped draft made it through to their final, you know, stages. And second of all, so much of this comes from the USOC. The USOC has just been completely hesitant to to put forth any rules and regulations when it comes to sexual abuse in sports. The Safe Sport program has been way beyond, way behind the times. And that's just not a huge priority for them. Even over the past few years, as we've been, you know, as the Nasser abuse has come to light, and as the sexual abuse in other sports has come to light, USA Today did a phenomenal investigation this week that found how many, found how little oversight there was, even amongst the Olympic movement, once coaches have been reported for sexual abuse or have been suspended for sexual abuse. This report found that across the Olympic movement, these people stayed in their sports. Like there was no oversight. There was nobody making sure that they were gone. And, you know, the title of the report is just, you know, do you know who is coaching your kids? And I really think it's something that every single parent, every single person should just be be appalled by. And it starts with the Olympic Committee. They're supposed to be policing this. And trust me, they police everything that has to do with medals and money. But when it comes down to sexual abuse, it's just not a high priority. Mm, It's awful. And now when it comes to Nasser, we know that the USA Gymnastics and USOC were not the only institutions that had an enabling hand in this and also a fallout of this. So there's also some kind of more news coming out of Michigan State. Linz, what's going on? up at Michigan State in the last few weeks? And what were some of your biggest surprises coming out of the report related to either MSU or USOC? Yeah, well, I mean, so MSU has not was not really a part of this report. It did touch on the la- the way that MSU had been notified of the abuse for over a decade and done nothing. But it was focused more on the USOC and the Olympic uh, in USAG. But at MSU right now, we're having this horrible situation where John Angler, um, President interim President John Angler, who we have burned many times on this program this year, has shut down the Healing Assistance Fund completely. Now, the Healing Assistance Fund was put in place by the Board of Trustees at Michigan State about a year ago, and it was a way to directly help survivors of Nasser get access to therapy. So they could just send their therapy bills to this fund and be reimbursed. Now, about July, the fund was put on hold by Angler because of reports of fraud. This is like a $10 million fund, I believe. So this is separate from the, you know, $500 million settlement that also came across this year. That's a civil settlement. That's on the legal side. I don't know the status of that being doled out. But this fund, which so many were able to get direct access to medical cost, (laughs) which is so crucial to helping them move on and, and heal from this was put on hold, and it was put on hold indefinitely. And then just this past couple of weeks, Engler announced that it was officially shut down because there was so much fraud. Now, first of all, there's very little evidence that there was extensive fraud being used. Second of all, this is a broken, another broken promise from Michigan State to survivors who were using this fund, who were planning on this fund. They had said they'd gone to therapy sessions under the guise that this fund would reimburse them. You know, there are therapists now across the country who are waiting on money from this fund and it's now never going to come. It's just so cruel. And I know there are a couple of members of the board of trustees who are trying to fight to get this fund reinstated. But right now there are still just way too many members of the board of trustees who are enabling Angler. And 
there was the final trustees meeting of the season of, sorry, of the calendar year, actually, just on Friday. And a lot of the survivors were there to confront them about this, but there's been absolutely no movement. So it's just really depressing. You know, no, still everyone is looking the other way. Yeah. Jess? Yeah, I just wanted to say two last things. There's a very good podcast by NPR, I think even Michigan Public Radio, that is called Believed. And uh, it's about the survivors. It's very, very good at talking about them in particular and really getting at what this was like from their perspective. And I just recommend that to anyone who's interested in this case. And I just wanted to say, I feel like it's important to say every time that we talk about this, that... This is the biggest story in U.S. sports, whether or not it's giving the coverage. I mean, to listen, when I listen to Lindsay, when I read the stuff that she's writing about this, and again, I'm just so thankful for that. We are talking about the United States Olympic Committee, USA Gymnastics, multiple NGBs, one of the biggest athletic departments in this country, collegiate athletic departments, and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of victims around that have been abused. And it's it is the biggest story. And I just feel like we have to keep reiterating that because we don't have a sports media that will do that. Um, It is just amazing to me every step of this every new thing that comes out that it is not the lead story and every kind of sports reporting that exists. Yeah, like Jess said, I don't understand why this report this week was a mandatory reading for every single sports reporter in the country. Like the the report on Joe Paterno was when it came out of Penn State, you know? I don't understand and I never will. And to think this goes up to the highest levels. The FBI was a part of this cover-up. And it's just so disheartening. So Scott Blackman, who's the former CEO of the U.S. Olympic Committee, he is in this report as having A, lied to the ropes and gray investigators extensively. And that means he probably lied under, lied to Congress earlier this year when he sent in written written statements. So now he, the senators who have been leading this investigation, uh, Jerry Moran and uh, Richard Blumenthal, now reported Scott Blackman to the DOJ and the FBI to be investigated. But it's just so messed up because the FBI was a part of this whole cover up. You know, the FBI was too busy spending all this money on the NCAA investigation to make sure black athletes weren't getting paid. And they just completely dropped the ball on the sexual abuse of uh, hundreds of girls in the Olympic movement. So it's everything about this is depressing and especially the lack of coverage it's gotten this year. This week, we witnessed many examples that remind us yet again how much we desperately need diversity in sports media. Shireen? Thanks, Samira. So this is something that we continually talk about on Burn It All Down simply because of the reason that this is a thing that's not ending anytime soon. We know from the Women's Center media reports that almost 90% of sports media is cishat white able-bodied men. We know this. This is not something we're making up at Burn It All Down. These are statistics. These are This is data. Now, we have seen in the last week incredible amounts of bad reporting. For example, the story about Kareem Hunt by USA Today, and as Lindsay pointed out, was just basically listing criminal histories of family members. Not exactly sure what that has to do with his play, if we're going to take like a page out of the playbook of media. So as you can tell, I'm a little fired up about this because I'm also exhausted. Then we've seen, in addition to that egregious piece of writing, we saw The Athletic use the T word in an absolutely transphobic manner, which is the only way it's used. I don't want to repeat the word. And we're sitting there going, how did this get past editing? How did the writer think this was appropriate to say? I just, it boggles my mind sometimes. I don't even know if I want to talk about barstool and blackface. Like, I don't think that's anything that surprised me personally. Like, this is just like, oh, what other fuck up has barstool done now? Blackface. Okay, let's add it to the list. And no, you don't get a 
pass for doing blackface. I don't care how many friends you have that are black. It is not okay. I'm sorry. Oh, God. Now, something that I burned last week's episode was Raheem Sterling. But guess what, friends? Apparently, all of white dude bros and football media had an epiphany when Raheem Sterling very poignantly posted on his Instagram that he felt the media was unfair and racist and propelled racist ideology. He's right. He has been the target of football writers in the UK and around the world. You know what? It started with sexism, which was, as Brenda pointedly said, a gateway to racism. That's what happened. And no, white people, I don't want to hear about how Raheem Sterling's post made you reflect that you don't have black friends. You are the problem. You are not a solution. You are the problem. So there was one piece that I really highly recommend before we get into general discussion about this by a presenter named Hugh Woosencroft, who so beautifully said that he've had, and I quote, I've had discussions with fellow black journalists who feel that a difference in portrayal between black players and white players is clear, and it wouldn't have happened had there been more of us in the newsrooms. Okay, so we'll link this in the show notes. Yes, because this is what people of color have been saying who are in sports media. We need more people of color in sports media. I don't want to hear about a white person feeling like, you know what? I don't have black friends. And I think that's a problem in my analysis. Your analysis is the problem. You are the problem. And we're sitting back here and I can't use a Bennett like Becca meme enough of like the stellar disdain on the faces of Jess and Pinky Bomber. I can't. Like I'm just, I know that this has quickly turned into a slight burn pile, but this is something that I think we absolutely need always on a burn pile. Anyway, I'm ready to pass this on to And it's something else. that is very persistent, which is why it's so burnable because it's like a broken record and that's frustrating. Um, Do I sound frustrated? <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I want to do as we think about the lack of diversity in sports media is part of the time we have here and this podcast which in and of itself is an attempt at saying, hey, we need to switch up the landscape. But I also, I don't want to give too much energy and time to all of these. I just don't. What I would love for us to do, just take this opportunity to shout out people from underrepresented groups who are absolutely killing it and doing some great work in in the sports world. Bren? Yeah, lately, I've not even lately for a long time, I've been a big fan of Luis Miguel Echegaray. He's at Sports Illustrated and does a show with Grant Wall. And this past week, he interviewed Melissa Ortiz, the Colombian national player who, after being treated so poorly for years and years, stepped away from the team, kind of in a in a really strong moment in her, her career. And he and Grant did a great interview with her and he's just really brought a whole different perspective as a Latino man and I love it I love that he tries to do as much as he can in Spanish that he's paying attention to Latin American women all the time he's a good ally when Shireen says you know allies come and collect these men you know who they are (laughs) I feel like she's directly talking to Luis Miguel (laughs) I mean, like, it's he's like, such a good guy. I love that guy. He's so smart, and um, he's just always promoting women's work and people of color's work. And I just am so happy to see some real soccer coverage in the U.S. by someone who speaks Spanish, because it is so frustrating to constantly feel as though. You know, it's a it's a global game and I get it and you can't speak every language, but can we just say yes, soccer, football was invented in England, but it was perfected in Latin America. And if oh. that's right, I wrote those words. Those are published. Come at me. That, that's that's true shit. And and so if you don't speak Spanish and you're like a big time soccer writer, you know, think about it. So yay, Luis Miguel. Uh, Lindsay? (laughs) Yeah, this is someone who I've never met, but I just admire her work so much is Josina Anderson, the senior NFL insider on ESPN. I just love turning on just kind of your everyday 
NFL coverage, you know, NFL game day, and seeing a black woman, you know, giving us the inside information. She competes for scoops with Adam Schefter, who, you know, of course, is her colleague. But I love that, you know, on free agent day, she's the one who's trying to get scoops away from Adam Schefter and, you know, break her own news. She's really broken some great news about Odell Beckham Jr. this year and just provides, of course, great interviews with athletes because she comes with, you know, she comes from a different perspective. She speaks to them. She's closer to their age. She's able to speak, you know, from she's from their communities. And it gives it's such a needed perspective within the NFL world. And look, look, I love my full time job is sports and politics. You know, I love and you can't really separate the two, of course. But I do love just seeing women also just talking about the game itself, you know, who are just able to report and who don't always have to be the ones widening the conversation. Now, she widens the conversation naturally because she understands racism and sexism and all of these things much better than most of her white male colleagues. Um, Well, I would say probably much better than all of her white male colleagues. Uh, However, she's just there to give you the inside scoop on what's going on on game day. And I so admire her work. ESPN is so much better for having her on their roster. Yeah. Jess, who you want to shout out? Yeah. Well, I mean, the list is long. I I want to say that you should go check out the Burn It All Down guest list that we've had on this podcast. I think that's actually like a really good place to start on burnitalldownpod.com. I wanted to give uh, shout outs to two people that probably a lot of people haven't heard of because they're editors. And I think that's one of the things about the journalism in general is that we, I mean, we will talk on this podcast about editors and their roles and stuff, but that's a, I mean, talk about lack of diversity. And I was fortunate enough to work with Christina Tapper at Bleacher Report. I think she's a managing editor there uh, when I did my girls in baseball piece. And she should have gotten a byline on that as well. She was fabulous. And then every other week at Huffington Post, I work with a woman named Jolie Doggett. And she is so good. She makes me so much better. I, I find that job to be hard, that kind of writing very difficult. And she pushes me in really smart ways. And I feel very fortunate that I get to work with her every other week. I want to also, I want to say like, I want to give a shout out to like the OG Soledad (laughs) O'Brien. I feel like uh, her work on real sports and even just on Twitter in general is is so wonderful. I could go on and on, but I I think I'm going to leave it there. That is wonderful. I want to shout out in a, in a weird way, the Players' Tribune that allows athletes themselves to um, put stuff out there. And I'm thinking particularly of this amazing piece that Alan, Iver- that Alan Iverson wrote that literally was like the best thing I read all year. And it was literally him saying, listen, there's a lot of like symbol projected onto me but here's facts you don't know about me starting with like one I like to draw and it just was magnificent and so I wanted to do that and I also wanted to shout out the Black Women in Sports Foundation and think about their work as a whole to increase the involvement of black women and girls in all aspects in sports, which includes athletics, coaching, and administration, as well as sports media. And it's, you know, an organization that is pretty small and not a lot of people know about, but it actually was founded by four women in the late 60s and 70s, Tina Sloan Green, Alpha Alexander, Dr. Nikki Frank, um, and Linda Green, who were all at my alma mater, Temple University, in various aspects of the sporting world there and saw a need, a specific need to form a foundation that sustained Black girls and women in sports. And on that note, I want to give a special shout out to Shireen and other women of color who have to deal with the kind of double-edged sword of being a woman within a sporting landscape and being a person of color uh, within the world generally, but also within uh, sports media and sports scholarship and all of it who are continuing to forge on um, every single day. Shireen? 
Thank you, Amira. I love you. I mean, obviously, my first stop is burn it all down. This place is respite, it's relief, it's learning for me. And you four are like one of the reasons. When I say I like my glass half full, you are the vessel, the glass that gets filled. So I just wanted to say that. Um, Amira, I learn from you constantly. I know you're not in sports media, but I learn from you. And if we can also fold in historians into this, that would be so great. Like an academics just talked about editors. So important. Um, I want to shout out, like I actually have a list for our listeners that do not know this. I have a list of women in NBs of color in sports media. I'm happy to share that list in this episode. It's just a Google Doc that I started compiling. And I, I, I think that they're brilliant. I think that people contributing different perspectives are awesome. I do really want to shout out Morgan Campbell, my friend at the Toronto Star. He does sports and sports and business. He's whip smart. He's super funny. And he's so relevant. I just really, really like him. He's married to former Olympian Perdita Felician, and they're expecting a baby. That's also happy news that I'm allowed to share. He's an ally. He collects, he collects people and he does it in a way that doesn't expend too much energy and I've learned from him on how to not waste my brain space and mental bandwidth. I actually love Shakea Taylor, who's been on our show with Hot Takes. She's co-hosted. I learn all the time from, she's somebody I look up to and though she's younger than me, I want to grow up and be like her. I also really love Ashwarya Kumar at ESPNW. I think her writing is beautiful. There's not a lot of South Asian women in sports media either. And I think that's just, her writing moves me. There's there's so many people. So do check out this list I have. I think it's important. And I really like that we're having this conversation because it's positive. And, and, and just to quote Khalil Gibran, the more that sorrow is carved into your soul, the more joy you can contain. And I get sorrowful and frustrated when I see really bad, typical systemic racism and sexism in sports writing. And then I see light and it just fills my soul. So thank you. Now on to everyone's favorite segment, the burn pile. We have some good burns for you today. Brenda, what are you burning? Okay, I'm going to close out the year with FIFA. And it's probably the way I surprise. It's probably the way I started it. And I was looking for like I was struggling to look for some way to define it as anything else but FIFA, but I can't. And that's not my fault. And it's not my fault. I have to burn them every week. It's their fault. And this is their dumb ass thing this week. I went to go buy Women's World Cup tickets, not because I have any money or time to go to France, but because I so desperately, in a fit of optimism, went and did it anyway. And I bought some group stage tickets and I went to go buy them. And it is a required part of the form to say whether you are a Mrs. or a Mr. (laughs) Those are the two options? No other option. No other option. (laughs) That's it. Okay. So like define microaggression. (laughs) And so I started complaining about it. I took a screenshot. um, And then the official Twitter of FIFA Women's World Cup answered me, uh, Mr. Alex Stone. He and I have a long, long standing relationship. And he wrote me and said, this is a cultural issue because in France, it's about Mademoiselle and Madame. And I said, right, except um, this is in English. (laughs) So that makes no sense. And it doesn't translate to Mrs. So shame on you, FIFA, for once again making the Women's World Cup into something that is (laughs) FIFA-like. Damn it. And (laughs) ignoring the fact that there's all of these people who don't fit those categories, you can refer to me as Ms. or Doctor or why the fuck do you need to know anyway. So I want to (laughs) burn. So mad. I know. It's like people are like, it's so petty. And I'm like, if it's petty, change it. If it's not difficult, then why do you hang on to your binary so tightly? Anyway, so I want to burn that and um, burn FIFA for not knowing how to 
shepherd this amazing tournament into reality. Burn. Burn. Yeah, so I want to burn something that is a few weeks old at this point. Uh, if you don't know or you didn't see, uh, Dwayne Wade and Gabrielle Union welcomed a little girl, Kavia James Union Wade, about six weeks ago. Yes. And has the her own have been quite- Instagram account. She does. And it's adorable. Check it out. Yes. So the parents uh, have both been very publicly uh, open talking about their struggles to expand their family. Uh, Gabrielle Union has been a very vocal um, person about her multiple miscarriages, her attempts of IVF, and ultimately they decided to have a baby via surrogate. And so they posted a birth announcement announcing uh, their daughter's birth and they posted it from the hospital in a series of photos. And in one such photo, um, you can see they both have hospital gowns on or not on holding the baby. And what I want to burn is a kind of consistent reaction I saw to this photo, which is that people started trying to come for Gabrielle and say, well, why do you look like you just gave birth? Are you trying to fake it? Are you trying to um, pretend like you actually gave birth to her because she was in a hospital gown and she was in the hospital. And it was just this kind of vitriol that was just so ridiculous and so frustrating to see them navigate that. And so recently they sat down with Oprah because of course, and, (laughs) and D Wade addressed this actually, and said, listen, we had our baby and quote, everyone just started talking. And he was like, you know, people were just talking out of ignorance. We wanted to go to skin to skin contact as soon as our baby was born. And so even after he said that, people were like, well, you had your shirt on. And it's like, well, actually, if you swipe a little bit, you'll see that he didn't have a shirt on because both of them went there to try to hold the baby. They weren't trying to fake it or anything like that. They were quite open about that they had this baby via surrogate. They announced and acknowledged the woman who um, helped them expand their baby by carrying Kavia. And not only that, they look tired because they're new parents and have a newborn. (laughs) So this idea that they like are trying to put on airs and look tired to pretend that she went through a labor, like she might not have gone through physical labor, but she is laboring because she is mothering and shut the fuck up. Jeez. So... Welcome to the world, Kavia James Union Wade. And I want to burn down all the ridiculous people who just have too much time. So burn. Burn. Uh, Lindsay. Hi. Uh, Yes, (laughs) I'd like to finish my burn pile season with Dan Snyder. Because I feel like this just brings together a lot of things we've been talking about all year. First of all, uh, in case you've lost track. He still has a team with a racist name, so that's still going on. Uh, but second, but what's more appropriate for this conversation is the fact that, or more pertinent to this conversation, is the fact that he um, doesn't really have a quarterback right now on his team. Uh, the Washington NFL team has had two quarterbacks break their leg this season. They are inexplicably, because the NFC East uh, is – not that great this year. It, they're, they're still somewhat in the playoff picture. And yet, instead of going and signing the, or at least offering a tryout to a quarterback out there who has, in recent memory, brought a team to a Super Bowl, who still wants to play and is, by all accounts, still in great shape and not injured. You know who I'm talking about, Colin Kaepernick. Instead of that, he is going with players such as Mark Sanchez and Josh Johnson. He is using excuses such as, or he's actually not talking directly to reporters at all, but through his coaches, he is using excuses such as the fact that these, it's a schematic, like like Kaepernick wouldn't know the scheme very well. And uh, Sanchez has playoff experience and it's it's about <laughs> yeah, thank you it's 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 that's how funny this is he's using what? all of these ridiculous uh you know things and, th- and of course none of them make sense because uh Kaepernick literally was like a yard from winning a Super Bowl so you know it's just so stupid but interestingly enough this report came out this week that Dan Snyder is working with 
federal and local Republican officials because he is lobbying congressional Republicans and the Trump administration to get a stadium provision inserted into the massive spending bill that Congress is trying to force through to passage before the end of this year. So should that measure be included in the bill, it would remove a substantial roadblock that is currently preventing Snyder from building a new 60,000-seat stadium on the site of RFK Stadium within the city limits of Washington, D.C. The Washington Post reports that this provision could pave the way for the NFL stadium and other commercial development on the 190-acre site. By tucking it into a complex spending bill, the team and local officials could sidestep public debate over whether other uses for this coveted parcel of land would benefit a broader swath of D.C. residents. In other words, Snyder needs Republican support to force through this bill that will screw over D.C. residents and taxpayers. Is it any coincidence that even though this is the team that by far needs Kaepernick the most, that they won't even consider calling him? I don't think that's a coincidence, you guys. Listen, Kaepernick has been told to stick to sports, to not worry about politics, and yet it seems the best opportunity that he would have to play in the NFL, the team that is the most desperate for a quarterback and the most rife to taking chances on that, the reason they won't do it is for political reasons. How about them apples? Burn. 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 Shereen? So I have two burns to end out the year. (laughs) And the first one's super fast. River Angels Football Club in Nigeria, the women's team, has not been paid for a very, very long time. And Nigeria, as we all know, are the reigning AFCON champions. So I think that this is really problematic that the Nigerian Women's League champions are owed match bonuses that date back to 2016 hugely problematic like 2016 it's oh it's so frustrating and i want to thank janine anthony my friend in lagos who works for bbc africa for always being on top of this and calling it out because like many of us she screams into an abyss now the thing that really bothered me in addition to that was khabib nuragomedov's comment on how women can get into the UFC. We all know Nura Gomedov and his, you know, dramatic stuff happening in UFC and fights with various people. I also want to say that part of me applauded him for not tolerating racist banter against him because he's a Muslim. But that in no way allows for me to accept his blatant sexism when asked how women can be amplified in or have more access to MMA. This is what he said, and I quote, for females, I have very good advice. Be fighters at home. And then he added, and one more advice, all the time, finish your husband, end quote. So I am sitting here seething, irritated, and not completely surprised because this continues to be another acceptable form of commentary. Now, in the article that we'll also post, it was in The Independent, it said, you know, Twitter was alight with commentary. I couldn't find Twitter alight with anything about this. It was just acceptable because it's like, I'm like, where is the commentary and people getting upset? I had to Google and get into page six on searches to find anything about it, which also goes to show us how little people care about this type of misogyny and sexism. I would like to burn that, all of it. All right, Jess, bring us home. What are you burning this week? Yeah, so last week I said I was going to be back on my bullshit, and this week I'm just going to stay on it. Uh, Seems the right way to (laughs) to circle on this year. There were multiple reports this week, earlier this week, that DJ Durkin, who I can't throw on this pile enough, apparently, Maryland's former coach who was fired after extensive public pressure following the preventable death of player Jordan McNair and an investigation that found his program to be toxic, was hanging out with Alabama's football team, consulting behind the scenes. Because sure, why not? 
college football is a cesspool. Now, Alabama's head coach, Nick Saban, who's going to make $74 million over eight years for coaching unpaid kids to throw their bodies against each other in a made-up game that only matters because we've decided it should, released a statement in response to these reports, quote, DJ Durkin is spending a few days with our staff in Tuscaloosa from a professional development standpoint. He has not been hired in any capacity at the University of Alabama. He is simply observing our operation, as many other coaches have done through the years. First... Everything I know about college football has taught me not to trust what head coaches tell us about what goes on behind closed doors. But if Saban is telling the truth, so what? Tell Durkin no. Tell him to stay away from your program. Tell him you aren't going to provide him any professional development help because it's time he gets a new career. Not to be outdone by college football, there was also this, quote, Sources told ESPN that Durkin also has met with multiple NFL teams since his firing to watch tape and offer input, which is so confusing because Durkin was not even a winning coach. Move (laughs) on, football. Move on. I'm burning all of that. Just burn it down. Burn. 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 After all that burning, it's time to highlight some badass women of the week. I want to start by shouting out the new NCAA volleyball champion Stanford University, who defeated defending champs Nebraska in five sets. It was an instant classic, an epic match, and Stanford will now claim their second victory in three years. Congratulations to the Stanford Cardinals. Also want to shout out Simone Biles, who won ESPN's Most Dominant Athlete Award this year because, duh, got the cover of ESPN magazine and opened up about her anxiety and depression and how she's doing since coming forward as a NASA survivor. Shout out to you, Simone. Stanford's Catherine Plummer, who won ESPNW's Volleyball Player of the Year, one of many Stanford Cardinals who racked up the postseason awards, also announced last night, including uh, folks from Nebraska as well, some dominant, dominant teams in women's volleyball. Uh, It was a wonderful tournament. I want to shout out Melissa Reed, who's an LPGA golfer who publicly came out this week. Congratulations, Melissa. I also want to shout out rugby player Kendra Coxedge of the New Zealand Black Ferns for winning the New Zealand Player of the Year Award, which is the first time for a Black Fern. Congratulations to you, Kendra. Brianna Stewart was named U.S. Basketball Athlete of the Year because, again, duh. Uh, Congratulations, Stewie, on (laughs) yet another award. And also shout out the U.S. Women's Basketball Team for being selected as the U.S. Basketball Team of the Year. And their uh, squad photos upon celebrating this award were epic. I implore you to go find them. Want to shout out former WNBA player Lindsey Harding, who is now a full-time scout with the Philadelphia 76ers. Lastly, I also want to shout out moms in tennis in general. After much conversation, (laughs) much action and inaction, stuff that we've profiled on this show before, it was announced that players coming back from childbirth on the WTA or injury will now be able to use their previous ranking to enter 12 tournaments over a three-year period. This is a significant change and departure from what was in place before, which was pure shit. So congratulations to all moms who will benefit from this and also the moms who made this possible and especially on a hat tip to Serena Williams, who brought her platform to this issue. And now, a drum roll, please. Our Badass Woman of the Week goes to Rachel Hollander for receiving SI's Inspiration of the Year Award, which was given to her by doc- Dr. Christine Blasley Ford. She was the first woman to publicly accuse former Michigan State and USA Gymnastics Dr. Larry Nasser of sexual assault. Rachel is a, a force. We had her on the show. Lindsay did an amazing interview with her. If you didn't check it out or want to revisit it, I definitely suggest you do it just is a little piece. You can hear a little piece captured of the tenacity of force of Rachel. And we want to acknowledge you and shout you out this week. You are our badass woman of the week. All right, my loves, we are closing out the year. 
As we mentioned before, that this is our last regular episode. We still have two new episodes coming to you for to close out the year, which will be best ofs. But this is the last time we will all be together recording in 2018, which I can't believe is over <laughs> ending. <laughs> and so as we think about and close out this year, I want to hear what is good in your world. Lindsay? NBA Twitter has been a delight for me lately, especially, I don't know if anyone was paying attention the other night, I guess it was Friday night when word came across that there was a three-way trade between the Phoenix Suns, the Washington Wizards, and the Memphis Grizzlies, but then it completely fell apart because there was confusion over which Brooks, the the Memphis Grizzlies have two players, the last name Brooks. And there was great confusion over which one was included in the trade. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Memphis thought it was offering up uh, Marshawn, and Phoenix thought it was getting Dylan. So <laughs> the oh trade God. completely <laughs> – It was really funny. It was incredible. The trade completely fell apart. The next day, the Wizards and Suns did directly get a trade done for Trevor Ariza and Kelly Oubre and Austin Rivers. So it did the trade ended up getting done, but without Memphis and with no Brooks in sight. But it was just it was just a really peak night for Twitter. And you guys, these men make so much money. I know. <laughs> these men make so much money. And they they do such stupid things this reminds me what was it was it the bangles that like didn't turn their paperwork in on time yeah, once totally. <laughs> like yes. they like just didn't submit it or something yeah right and, and on that note i don't know if you guys saw this week like Stephen a smith went on this huge uh rant about oh. the can the kansas city chiefs and he like named three players that weren't even on the team at all teddy <laughs> brewski's face in that it's was so good honestly the you, funniest you have to watch thing. teddy brewski and max kellerman's face were they're, so good and then they're just so confused <laughs> All the teams have been kind of trolling him now since then. Like the Chargers released yeah. a report and was like, Ladanium Tomlinson is out for tonight's game. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, John Gruden even got in the action with the Raiders. Oh like he, he was talking. So anyways, it's actually, it's very depressing to think of how much money Stephen A. Smith makes, but I have enjoyed everyone laughing at his stupidity. <laughs> Shireen, what's good in your world? Well, now I feel like there's hope for me becoming an NFL commentator. So maybe I'll just do that. <laughs> you don't even um, know anything. Well, well, that's exactly it. It's perfect. I just got a book called Yes, I'm Hot in This by a woman named Huda Fami, who's from Michigan. It's really hilarious. It's like a cartoon book, but it's called The Hilarious Truth About Life in Hijab. And she takes like every possible experience we've had. And it's cartoon. So it's really funny, but it's also very heartwarming because she talks about allies and people who reach out to her when she's feeling unsafe. Like it's just a really beautiful book. And I'm really, really glad I got it. I also am really into kind bars right now and I'm eating one quietly. Uh, I love them. I'm so happy Ew. about them. And I also want to be a little bit sappy and say that what else is good is love so interpret that as you will my friends love shireen i told good. you i'm single don't impress me <laughs> i'm gonna send you a kind bar okay <laughs> please don't oh god no <laughs> well i have no access. i thought you loved me <laughs> i do but i don't have access to jess's baking which i'm like drooling over and oh my gosh jess's baking that 3d Your gift to cookie me can be not sending me a kind bar so okay that would be good. okay i love can you we just take a minute and recognize jessica's baking <laughs> 3D, yeah, the ahead. 3D cookie. What can this woman not do? I know. Jeez Louise. The 3D cookie, just like I almost fainted. I was like, the I don't know. The textured cookie part is yeah. what yeah. put me over the edge. And yeah. I was just like, I, I just like, we're having a cooking show via Instagram or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. And um, she always does these posts while I'm in the office, which is just particularly I, cruel. I feel Jess. like I'm really just telling on myself. Like I'm not working. <laughs> I'm just telling on it. So, Jazz, you want to tell us what's good besides your baking? Yeah, well, my baking. Yeah, it's just become such self care. I actually, so I had a Instagram story on Friday because my friend got married yesterday and she did the great wedding bake off where she asked people instead of having a wedding cake, she asked a bunch of friends. There must have been twenty five desserts there to bring something along, and so I made 
heart-shaped Oreos, and I used my wooden embossed roller that actually has hearts. So they were hearts on hearts. The Oreos were great. I don't know who won the Bake Off yet. They haven't announced it. But the wedding itself was beautiful. My friend Brittany is one of the kindest, nicest people that I know in this entire world. And I admire her so much. And it was just really lovely to watch her just listen to everyone talk about how much they love her, including the man, James, um, who she has married. I mean, I was not prepared. Like the woman in front of me turned around to give me a tissue because I was not handling it well. It was beautiful. And then I just really quickly wanted to mention WBUR's Only a Game has an incredible piece this week. It's called My Dad's Friendship with Charles Barkley by Shirley Wang. Uh, You can read it, but I suggest if you have the time, it's about 14 and a half minutes long, to listen to the audio because there is a point where Charles Barkley... I mean, it's he randomly meets this guy in a bar who's a huge fan, but they become lifelong friends. And Charles Barkley is explaining to this young woman who's reporting about this relationship that her father had with Barkley. And he is talking about how he and this woman's dad, Shirley's dad, had like the main thing they talked about was like her and her brother. And there's something about the emotion of that moment in the audio that I just think it's great to read. It's a beautiful piece written, but. It, the audio, if you can listen to it, it's called My Dad's Friendship with Charles Barkley. Yeah, my uh, my tweet about that made the Twitter moment thing just because one particular piece that she said in that writing is gorgeous, that she said that he made a slideshow for Chinese New Year that had nothing to do with the holiday. And I just thought that was so funny and so sincere and just so beautiful. And the way she wrote about her dad who had passed away was just I think everybody was crying. Everybody in the world was crying who read that piece. It was gorgeous. Ren, what's good with you? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm like struggling. <laughs> um, I'm just staring at finals, final exams to grade. It's really hard to do what's good in the <laughs> middle of grading. So I please ask you to bear with both me and Brenda <laughs> as we try to like see past the stack of papers glaring at I know, at and I'm us. trying to be bitter about what's good because this is what is good that the finals of the second season of the Mexican Women's Soccer League finished America beat Tigres in Estadio Universitario this week on penalties after the match drew at 1-1 and I would like to say what's good is that 41,121 people were in attendance so shut up people that say that there's no market and no audience because this is two years running now a consistent fan base for Mexican women's professional soccer. There's no one allowed in the Mexican league that's not from Mexico. So it's also not about, you know, importing players and stuff. I actually don't love that rule. But just throwing out there that all of the people who love to tell women that sports just can't make money and builds audience, blah, look at those attendance figures. They're amazing. They're way better than MLS. So shove it. And that's really good. That's really, really good. And you're all really good. And Messi is really, really, really very good. We can post to the show some of the most. I mean, did you have you haven't been watching him probably? I don't know. People got other stuff to do in their life. <laughs> but when I'm depressed, I mean, the last few weeks is just pure artistry. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. There's a great video about how Messi defies physics over the last month, and um. Maybe we should post it so when other people get down, they might just want to watch highlights. So what's good for me? <laughs> it's really hard. It's so final exam. <laughs> Did you get to and see any of your co-hosts all this over week? the place? I know. Well, okay. I'm about to say. So I will tell you what's good with me. So I've traveled a lot this semester, more than I usually do. Um, so it also makes me the person who gets to see my co-hosts the most. I've seen Lindsay this week. I saw Brenda last week. I saw Shireen and Brenda um, a month and a half ago. I saw Jess in Texas earlier this year and in State College. And so I feel incredibly lucky because I have all the selfies with all my co-hosts. And so that is a big perk of traveling. While I'm talking about traveling, I do want to take this time and shout out my husband, Michael, he has held down the fort with our kids incredibly (laughs) this semester. It's, I mean, when I tell y'all, I don't think I've been home for longer than a week since mid-October. Like, I don't 
know how many consecutive days I've spent in my bed. And it's amazing to be able to have a support system like that, that includes many people, but to have your person also just be a great human is tremendous. And it's his birthday this week. Happy birthday, Michael. Um, And yes, I'm very excited. He hates his birthday. He's a true introvert and would like everybody to just ignore it. Oh, I I so relate to this. I know. I was like, this is the (laughs) birthday debate. But because he is more like Brendan and Lindsay, who's like, please ignore my birthday. And I am me. I have booked (laughs) us for a three night getaway at like a little resort just south of here. So we're not going far. We'll still be in the middle of Pennsylvania. But it has like hot springs and massages and alcohol. and convince them to do a escape room. There's hot springs in Pennsylvania? Listen, and in West Virginia, it's just a thing. Like America has random secrets in it, I guess. I don't know. So we're going, my mom's coming down to stay with the kids and we're going away for a few quick days. It's not like Hawaii where we were last year, but it will be a good way to kind of decompress after a, a very eventful semester. So that's what's good in my world. What is always good is this podcast is my co-host and is you, our flamethrowers. Thank you so much for tuning in, to, for coming on this journey and this adventure with us, for supporting us. Shout outs to our Patreons who give and make this possible. This is a labor of love and we couldn't do it without your support. So thank you all. You've made our year incredibly rich. We cannot wait to see what happens in the new year and what we bring to you here on Burn It All Down. So that's it for this week on Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down is on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show wherever you listen to it. We have had some amazing reviews roll in lately, and we just love to see it get to people who didn't know it exists and who need this podcast in their life. We love to receive feedback. We're on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It Down Pod. We also have a website you can check out, which has information about the show, links, transcripts for each episode, and a link to our merchandise. If you need last minute gifts for those loved ones on your list, I know just what to get them. Check out our merchandise account on Teespring. We have pillows, we have shirts, we have hoodies, we have stuff for babies. You can have baby flamethrowers. So check out our website to get links to all of that and get more information, show notes, all of the things. And yes, please rate, review, share, highlight, tweet us, interact with us. You are what makes all of this worth it. So from Lindsay Gibbs, Shreen Ahmed, Brenda Elsie, Jessica Luther, and me, Amir Rose Davis, we'll see you in the new year, flamethrowers. Flamethrowers.